there have been moments of joy today to speak of. I wish everyone could see your face as you say yes. <laughs> Is there any brief line about it that you can share? Um, the rain. Mm-hmm. may not come to words and you don't have to force it into words. But. Being in the pond and having great blue heron dive and leave and then as I left the pond, leave again and catch Can you describe the feeling? And what does oneness feel like mm. this time? <laughs> just also to say, as we're listening, the possibility of feeling it without her words, but just feeling her, Kristen's experience. That might have come through like those swallows. First, I want to ask you, what did you feel in your body when you let yourself go? Lightness. Lightness. Yeah. Where did you mostly feel lightness? Um, my shoulders. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, my heart. It's like my heart feels just yeah. wide open. Yeah. So I just want to make this little comment for all of us. Tying into yesterday, we talked about freeing the body and we talked about freeing the mind. And in the Indian spiritual tradition, which is my main um, place of practice and influence, mind is really mind-heart. But it's partly mind-heart in the sense that we talked about yesterday, thinking and emotion. Um, and it has a whisper of the chance of that being free, leaving space for another heart, which is sort of what you, Ron was describing. Mm -hmm. So thinking about the training that would give the heart, so if we use that word, the heart, all the freedom that it needs. That's not freedom to be in reaction or to move from the pain, but to leave room for the pain 
in a way that leads out of the repetitive suffering. Uh, flipping it around and having being heart mind, having yeah. the mind entrained to the heart. Yeah. But again, this the sometimes there's a confusion between heart as emotion and conditioned hurt, defensive, tender place. <laughs> and then when there's the light, like the, the shoulders lighten and then that gets freed and enough space is given to that hurt that then there's just space through which move all these things that we also know as heart, like joy. So then you said yet another Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that was unbelievable. Coming down from the main house, and usually it would take at least a couple of days for my son to be open to someone he's never seen before and go alone with that person to do something. And so I came down the hill after a half an hour, maybe, or less, and they were way away from the house playing soccer. <laughs> Katora was nowhere to be seen. <laughs> and I tried my best not to be seen. <laughs> that was... And also, so far, all of these comments really in keeping with what I wanted to speak about today. Is there anything else? Y'all are giving my talk for me. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I heard I, a hand peeped and a voice peeped. Was there another? Mm-hmm. I, I love the way um, people shares are sounding like poetry. Mm-hmm. So my, my joy was chickens under the apple. <laughs> and it was a very child a delight yeah. the openness and the delight just to mm. sort of drop me back into mm. a place uh, uh, when I was very very young mm. so it was quite beautiful yeah. I love how we can pretty much feel that we can so easily, uh, even though that might be hard to understand in another context, that the way you said it, it's, it makes it so easy to to know we know what you mean, and to, and also how that place, in some way, is so easy to come to and so familiar and important and simple, even if somehow we don't. <laughs> And so I'd invite you all to feel in those moments 
where there is kind of that sense of being held so that there can be the place of the bright-eyed and the simple. And uh, what happens also in the body? Sort of what, what are the traces of that happening? And not just to know it better, more intimately, but also because it is possible to um, sometimes go there on purpose as a, as a practice, not just during your formal meditation time, but any time in the day or night to just, like I got a sense when Karen was speaking of, of kind of like this, <laughs> um, fitting into place. And then that's a gesture, a kind of an inner subtle gesture that we can allow to happen. Partly by remembering when it happens spontaneously, and partly by also feeling when it's not happening, where are we in the body, what is, what's tight, what's reaching, what's defending, etc. And just getting to know the contrast and kind of befriending both places. And then there's also the way that the wor- Karen's words, chicken under the apple tree, like that, that is poetry and the kind of the brightness of the rhythm of the words. Um, sticking to that brightness is even more important than feeling that possible practicable gesture, but just letting that brightness lead, lead the way, that brightness that even if it's so real and easy to feel when she said that, it's still like, wait, did I, was that really something? Yes. Was it? Yes. so helpful to hear that tool of going through sound. Thank you. Hmm. First of all, <laughs> I'm not escaping. <laughs> um, and also, you got me already. You, you have me on a leash going around with you because that's <laughs> it is about following and staying true to our each our own process. And also, that joy that can come when it isn't pleasant through the practice of staying true deeply and enjoying and yeah, letting the joy of 
having support, being held, the sense, that sense of another kind of security so that what we don't need to hold on to can unravel. And even when there's, it, it can feel really, really yucky, even when it's good. And so that underlying good can be there. And that's, you know, that looks like courage. Later we could call it courage. <laughs> but it's a kind of staying true. Sometimes there's just not another option. There's no, nothing else to do but stay true in a really just a, this finest line. Sound, nearly freaking out, freaking out. Food, okay, taste, fleeting moment of enoughness. Etc. But I think what's come through in what people have said, so that the brightness of the chickens under the apple tree and the joy during a difficult unraveling, feeling the life and the new life in, in that unraveling of old. It doesn't fit our concept of joy. And so we don't need our concepts of joy. And so we don't need to also plan our joy. And this is some, something I really want to highlight today. Even if that kind of puts me back to that place where I'm aware of wanting to plan the joy, or not even that I want to, but that something is trying to plan the joy and know how it's going to be to feel safe. Some kind of mechanism like that. The different ways that there's some kind of impulse towards having a sense of control. And we all have been. Befriending that instead of demonizing that. So befriending that place that would even abandon that lovely sense of support that's already here and that, that uh, I've always wanted to be held that way. Kind of. <laughs> I didn't know it was possible. And, uh, and, and, and yet something in us does abandon that from a trained, conditioned, conditioned impulse to try to have a sense of control. And even so, it's, worth bef- to bef- it's worthwhile to befriend the impulse to control instead of just to try, you know, try to swat it out of the way. So yesterday when I spoke the words of Vanda Scarvelli and the lucid and pre- precise perception of our feelings, rather than trying to control. I just gave you that opening to explore and investigate, but I didn't give you much to go on, many examples. And so today I want to give a few examples to help enrich your own explorations. So this would be one example that's at the root of a lot of our suffering. So first of all, I'm carefully wording this. I'm not saying... (laughs) that we ever have control. So often we'll talk about being controlling, 
or the part of us that wants to control. And, and that's, that's not really accurate, I don't think. There's a part of us that is somehow willing to kind of forsake what's really happening to make some illusion of control and to stick to that illusion of control, isn't it? <laughs> like, I would rather be blind and not feel and pretend to myself and others that there's some control that there isn't. And so then, and so then it's interesting to find out why. Like, if, if we kind of unpeel the situation that, if we expose that that much, if we can be friendly enough that we can get that exposed. <laughs> so it's not like stripping it away, like putting, putting that control freak on the whatever sort of punishment block or whatever. But if we can be friendly enough that we can get that naked and realize that there, it's not that there's ever more control. There is sometimes a sense of having control. And why? What does it give us? And why do we want it? Why do we want, not that we want it, but what is that wave in us that goes that way, that goes towards creating a sense of having control? Does that make sense? It's, it gets very long, a lot of words, to try to say it more accurately. Are there questions so far? Because it's... So I think when we're befriending that impulse, then it's possible for that kind of stark reality that it makes sense. Of course we want to have a sense of control. Because we don't have any, hardly any. And so then there can just start to be, like slowly, it's just like the first drops of the storm of tenderness for our actual factual vulnerability without going anywhere from there. Not like friendliness with the vulnerability so that we can feel stronger or something, but just befriending then the fact of our vulnerability. Or having given up the fight with the, the controller, the deluded controller, <laughs> put it that way. Having given up the fight with it because it didn't work, it always gets the best of us <laughs> if we're fighting. So, okay, what's really going on here? Befriending that. Then we start to come into more contact with the vulnerability that is. And then that can start to bring out the possibility of tenderness for ourselves. Let's put it that way. And the lovely thing is then, what happens from there is unpredictable. <laughs> it's not a good deal for the controller, the deluded controller. <laughs> There's not a predictable outcome that we can make a deal with the controller like, okay, I'll be friendly with you, so you be friendly with me. <laughs> I'll try to do my best to be gentle with the tenderness and the vulnerability so that then that rage will go away <laughs> or whatever. 
there's there's no telling what comes next. <laughs> but what comes next is what the real priority is. That's the great thing. Whatever the real priority is, is what comes next. Whatever most needs love and attention and care and space, mostly space. We don't even have to bother that much about what goes into the space, but just mostly space for what? So it's not our choice, it's the wild card that someone else decides, not someone else decides, but like what's most needed gets to come up and meet. And when there is some befriending of that impulse towards control, so in that sense there's, a, there's an understanding of why we would freak out and try to make things look a certain way. Through befriending that, there starts to be less freaking out. Like We understand, so we're not um, putting more pressure we're not basically putting more pressure, so therefore the controlling is gonna take over. By not putting pressure, it kind of sometimes stays steady. And this is when the subtle and, sorry, she called it lucid and precise, and I'm calling it subtle perception of feeling can start to happen. When there's less pressure and there starts to be some space. which isn't all the time. Sometimes there can be less pressure and there starts to be some space and we can follow through on feeling something. We could follow through on feeling that impulse towards the illusion of control. And what we might find just just before that kicks in might be a raw, powerful emotion that's difficult or a painful place. It's usually directions that we received as children. <coughs> like someone mentioned today, and, and like many times happens on this kind of retreat, that the voice of, you're being lazy, don't be lazy. And when there's a steadiness and a possibility of falling, following through, of falling through is actually better, that's how I was going to say it. <laughs> there can be the question, well what, well, what is lazy, actually? Lazy would be to follow that voice. And when there is some fresh energy, there's the possibility of not following that voice. And so that's one example of starting to feel in a more subtle way. First, there's just the pressure of get up and do something. I have an old friend who helped on meditation retreats and did meditation retreats. And always the first couple days, she would hear her family coming in and telling her, 
get up and make the beds, you know, like, what are you doing lying around? <laughs> and so first there could be a kind of room full of pain that we can feel that's not hard to feel, it's strong, it's not so subtle. And then it might start to take on a certain flavor, there might, or we might start to feel a more original response to that input. So there might start to come anger that we were not allowed to just lie around as children sometimes. That, that we were taught a certain, that a certain thing is worthwhile and a certain thing isn't. And then that's also relatively easy to feel. It's not a subtle thing when it comes. It can be confusing. It can be hard. It can be hard to have permission to feel. But it's not really so subtle often. <laughs> and if we can kind of be steady with it, and that the main thing, I think, is, is a lack of shame about what, what happens. And that can come through in a sense of community, the human community, that you're never the first one to have ever felt that. And you're not, unfortunately, the last. You can be right in you. And we're not even the only one to be feeling it in this moment, for better or worse. At that point, who even knows what's better and worse? There's a certain way that that's sad, and there's a certain way that it's just kind of real. And it's a definite way that we're not alone. And it also starts to be clear, more and more clear, that whatever emotion, so let's stick with anger for now, We didn't make it with our hands. It, it came. We didn't, even if we did decide to be angry, we didn't really decide to be, because we could try to decide to be angry sometimes. <laughs> Can't quite do it. It has a life of its own. And it, it's, again, it's in a different way like that, the brightness of chickens under the apple tree. In a different way, it has a certain quality. Anger has a certain quality. that isn't in our hands, it isn't up to us, but we can feel it. And so if we start to feel that what's possible is not so much to control the anger, but it's possible to feel it as a real thing and as a living thing and also as a collective thing. And so just sort of by the way to, to start to feel a collective level of our experience. Not only in that we've all, we've all had those, we've all had hell days of anger, we've all had revolutionary releasing days of anger or moments of anger or whatever we've had. <clears throat> There's a Tibetan Buddhist saying that we've all done everything. And also that everyone's been our mother. For them, there have been so many lifetimes in so many different forms that everyone's been your mother. 
But I want to just bear in mind during this time together just one other important aspect of being human together. And being human means being human together. There's not ever aloneness as a human being, really. And that specific thing that I want to just bring into our investigations of us as, as our, of our individual experience is how susceptible we are to mob, to mob movement. That no matter how much meditation we've done or therapy we've done or whatever, whatever, if you happen to have grown up in a wonderful family or whatever, that still it could be in a certain context easy to be moved by forces that you don't really agree with. And to start to feel the different subtle layers where that, that is actually happening. So not, there's not a mob in the plaza in downtown Medvin or whatever, if there is. I don't even know if there's a community space anymore in the village, but. <coughs> I want to just give a, kind, a little bit of a funny example. When I spent six or seven years in a very loose group of people who were we weren't living in a commune. We were all, we'd all come to stay for some period of time in a certain city to hear teachings for a couple of hours a day from the same teacher. And there was a, a lot of diversity of who was there. And the fact that we didn't have to live together and all like go to meals together like we're doing here allowed that diversity to um, be greater than it might have been otherwise. But even so, it was interesting over the years how often regularly. They would come through the latest health craze. So it would be a liver cleanse. It would be um, kombucha. So people, we were, it was in India, so it's not that you could go to the store and get your recyclable plastic jug. It would be you make it at home. (laughs) And it, it was things that might be useful for different people at different times, but it would be like this maybe about 100 people out of the two or 300, or it seemed like anyway, but anyway, a good mob-sized group of people all putting themselves through this particular regimen. One time was drinking your pee. That was one of the first ones. <laughs> As my mom said, good to know about if I'm ever stuck in a desert. <laughs> but otherwise, I think I'll skip that one. And again, there would, be, there would have been for certain people, miracle cures with that, with that particular thing. And there would be miracle cures with that particular drink, you know, two liters of olive oil after you, whatever, to clear your, to get out your gallbladder bile or stones or whatever. And people weren't always exactly clear why they were doing what they were doing. <laughs> it was just really important to do it. <laughs> And so to, to, to find where there can be that 
it's almost if the image comes of as if we have some parts that are underwater that are sort of filter feeding and the different different collective trends are passing through and we naturally we need to take in some information about our environment so let let some come in and let some go out <laughs> and um, knowing yourself if you tend to be like no way then maybe say yeah sometimes and if you tend to really follow to the detail every single one, then don't. Give it three months before you try it, you know, and listen to 10 people who've done it for three months before you try it. And that's when they started to get the kidney infections when they did the drinking the pee for too long. It's like, yeah, and they were still devoted to the practice of drinking the urine. It's like, I just wonder if there might be a connection between your ongoing kidney infection and your ongoing urine drinking. I don't know, but it just seems like. <laughs> <laughs> and that the sense of that those tender maybe invisible tissues that are open to filter feed what the what's happening in the collective as part of our actual vulnerability and as a good way of sensing how vulnerability is important so we can pick up signals of that could be sometimes danger signals like someone that I know t says she was grow her mother was growing up in what was about to become Nazi Germany and she said well her mother was um, tended to freak out about everything and she was freaking out about the signs that she was seeing and so they left a Jewish family got out of Germany in time so that would be where <laughs> you tend to say no and you want to you want <laughs> you want to say no <laughs> Don't always go against the habit. <clears throat> Not making a new regime. There could sometimes be the danger signals that you're picking up by keeping your filter feeder open. So it's something, it just, it feels like this really, it almost feels like it could become visible someday. It's so um, much like a tissue, like a jelly in the sea. And then maybe not so far from those collective interests might be the place where there's vulnerability that also is courage or acts a lot like courage. It might not feel like courage at the time. And I do start to think sometimes that courage is only visible later. At the time, what we're feeling is shaky and uncertain and even fear. It could even be like fear right up to here. <laughs> you can't even see through the fear, but something anyway moves through you or moves you. And afterwards, clearly, that was courageous to step out of or stay in that relationship or job or whatever, meditation. So rather than trying to be courageous, the the simple sticking to that fact of vulnerability as this, as this um, low-key, courageous way of living that then might allow courageous acts to happen. So finally, towards the end of the talk, I can mention the title of the talk. <laughs> Cause less. 
playing with the word cause as like sometimes we want, there would be that tendency to fight for a cause. And how would it be <clears throat> to let that other kind of courage sort of do whatever fighting might be needed with less sense of the cause? And especially bearing in mind that those collective movements. And there are people who, and there are organizations also, who are looking to move on that collective level. They're looking to move you. And they're skilled at doing that. And we are usually unskillful at reading that manipulation. And there are also people and organizations that are moving us not with some kind of weird Machiavellian um, deliberate kind of motive, but because they're devoted to a cause and they're devoted to that cause, they're not devoted to your well-being. <clears throat> and so there's, there's a lot of blindness that gets a lot of power that can, that can affect us in ways that is not for our benefit or <clears throat> our neighbors, let's say. So starting to wake up this subtle feeling of these movements. And if it's possible, even if we're afraid of that, not to be afraid of it. It's a natural, a natural awakening of subtle, lucid, precise feeling. And we, could, we can feel how important it is. We don't have to look even to history but it's easy to look to history to see how important it would be to be unmoved. So many times to be unmoved by powerful human and possibly other kind of pressures. So <clears throat> I mentioned yesterday this weeding out when there's a feeling, weeding out what's the reaction, the ambition, the competitiveness, the duty, and what's left when those are missing. The importance of, even if I'm freaking out, the not freaking out, to allow continuing to just feel without an agenda of where to go from there, without knowing how it's going to evolve from here, but trusting that all I can do is feel so maybe that might be enough just to feel. And just to feel doesn't mean to repress a natural intelligence that starts to reveal itself as we feel, in the feeling. And that does start to call the mind and what we talked about, let's say the conditioned or the hurt heart, it starts to call that into a harmony so that our actions are actually calling our thinking and our emotion into harmony. They, they want to follow along. And that makes it easier then for the actions to, <laughs> to want to be in harmony with thinking and emotion. And then it's, it stops being possible to do certain things. It's not a decision or a cause that we're devoted to. We're devoted to the living quality and the, the only possibility, which is our feeling capacity staying true to that. So when we feel maybe an unease or a tightness in the body and it calls your attention, 
if we can just feel it and we can know what part is added, so usually there's story added, there might be history added or there might be future story added or whatever, which is just imagination repeating history. And just, when possible, just feeling, just uh, not pretending it's not unease or uncomfortable and not letting it seem more than it is. And starting to learn how paying attention could be not adding pressure, that's important. At first, when we pay attention, we're usually adding pressure. And if there just could be leaving space. The contraction or the unease that might feel mostly physical will start to lead somewhere. So that's where it starts to become a path on which we can travel. It might start to lead towards emotion, or it might start to lead toward a belief that is in the process of unraveling. And if we're just getting out of the way, so giving space to that feeling, it actually does unravel. That Michael Lunig in that little poem is accurate. And so it's that not allowing the alarm system, so the, the sense that there must be something wrong if it's uncomfortable or if it's contracted, we're supposed to be open. Not letting that making wrong to stop the sensing, the, the feeling, the clear, subtle perception, the lucid, precise perception of the feeling. Another way to say that is a friendliness with, with our experience. That's where the, so lucid, I like the word lucid because it gives a sense of clear but also bright, like the chickens under the apple tree. It's not just leaving space. It's leaving space in a way that gives all the freedom that's needed to that feeling. Sometimes that in the body, that tightness or unease might lead somewhere into a story that needs attention, that we can feel our way through. And sometimes it just unravels there. So many things are possible. Sometimes that's the end finished. And sometimes that's the beginning, never finished. An important other example of just feeling might be confusion. Confusion would be a place that we don't want to be usually. It can be scary to be to notice that we're confused. But if we don't allow it to be made wrong, we do allow feeling scared, but we don't let that stop the, the feeling the perception of, the friendliness with, the wondering, hmm. confusion, and then is it confusion? And often it isn't confusion, first of all. <laughs> Many times people will come to an interview and say, I'm so confused, and then they'll, they'll just really clearly say, you know, there's this and there's this, and what it is is they don't know how it's going to fit together, or they used to think this, and now their experience is like this, and so they're just in the process of leaving behind a belief that doesn't actually fit their experience. So often confusion is really just a sign of um, letting go of the old. 
and a kind of refreshing where the new, the new is sprouting. Confusion, confusion means like I want to feel like I've got it all together and I know how it's going to go. <laughs> and I don't like the sense that I actually have no clue because this, this is only sprouting. I don't know what kind of plant it is. It has one root and it has not even one leaf. <laughs> but then when that's clear, then, then we are naturally drawn to that. Just if you think of a sprouting seed, how much energy is there and how kind of bright it is. And again, yesterday I mentioned that letting it out, letting it go, letting it out, and letting it free, so giving the training that's needed for the freedom that's needed, so that it's not, things aren't driven by forces that we wouldn't live by. There can equally be shame of what we feel that isn't difficult or that's challenging because it's so good. There's actually often I find more shame of the good feelings. And whether that's cultural or what it is, I think it's also natural because the, the, the let's say the good feelings, the feelings that feel good, <laughs> not because it's giving a stimulus that we've been trained to like so however good chocolate is, that's one thing. And the blue heron coming and going and coming and going. <laughs> the rain. That's, that speaks to our history, but also to something else. More of a mystery. And it, what's built into the, that joy that's there might have been a kind of trigger, but there's also a way that it comes out of nowhere. So it's, it's less caused, <laughs> more cause less. And sometimes there are moments that there wasn't even a bird or a storm or we really don't know where it comes from, just a welling up. And there is that, that the word Christian used dissolving. That when we're relaxed and at ease, the alarm system not on, it's much more accessible to feel the joy of that. When the alarm system is on, which is what we're trained to live in, it's more clear that it's a death. It is a death anyway, but it's a, it's a joyful death that's also a birth. When we feel at ease, when we feel that other kind of security that life has us. And so it does feel exposed in the joy. It is a kind of undressing. It is a kind of going without a cause, without a covering without an identity and without an I. And so many times shame will come 
And again, to know the togetherness, to know that you're not the first to feel that. It's going to come again, too. <laughs> it's more or less who you are. Who we all are. And to feel the communion with each other at that level, to feel the possibility of that, that can be terrifying also. <laughs> it can be wonderful also. With shame, there's, there's partly it can come in the sense that no one else is feeling angry. They're all so peaceful. They look like Buddhas, etc. And just to know that we're with you <laughs> in the actual experience. And also in the dissolving of what blocks the possibility to feel the dissolving of what blocks the perception of our deeper nature, which is no thing, which is space that allows life to move in ways that happen to feel joyful and at home. And there's nothing of that that puts you off the map, so to speak. I once went to talk to someone whom I really love and respect when I was worried about my son, thinking that maybe there was something wrong that I needed to address in a different way that wasn't coming by itself. And the first thing she said, it was almost like she didn't even care what I was, she said, she asked me, like, why are you concerned? And I said, difficult birth and da -da 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 story, behavior, and then, and she said, and I, and I may have said, I'm just, I don't know if it's, I don't think it's off the map. I, I think I said, or off the charts. I think I said that. And she said, there's nothing off the charts. <laughs> and I was like, no, but what I mean is, she's like, there's nothing off the charts. And I was like, I know, but I mean, I don't think for his age. And she's like, there's nothing off the charts. <laughs> and partly because she has worked with such a wide range of babies and children and adults that she really means, like, she can work with anything. And she does. She partly means it in the literal sense, which is partly why I was like, I'd seen videos of her, and I was like, yeah, but I mean, but she also just meant that there is not anything that puts us off the charts. In another way, it's that wonderful feeling of being off the chart, being off the map, of not needing the map to confirm my existence. Because my, my, my being, which is also not solid, is also confirmed in our togetherness. It's also confirmed in the living quality. It's also, it's not affirmed, <laughs> but there's a big yes to that fluid fluidity that we could call our being. And there's no map for that. So playing with not forcefully, but moving shame aside, shame of what's difficult and shame of what's, shame of our nakedness in the two ways. Shame of our nakedness when it's difficult, shame of our nakedness when it's not needing anything to hide behind. And then what's there happens to be joy and bright and not mine. Our, our capacity to feel, I want to just say, 
then that we're still left with is wordless. And so that can be one point of confusion because we were trained to want it to go into words right away. And there may be no need for that. And there can be a training towards being comfortable with just feeling without it going up to that other. So there's the, the jellyfish filter feeder under the water. And we have this whole machine filter <laughs> that maybe we don't need, actually. <laughs> maybe we just don't need it. So that's another part of the training is being more and more at ease with not filtering and still feeling. Staying live with the feeling. Just going back to the poem, again, there's more that we can say a bit tomorrow in the morning. <clears throat> Befriending this nothingness, this no-thingness that's also a description of who we are. So there's also our particularity the ways that we're definitely ourselves and how that comes through more and more. We, we're allowed to be more and more eccentric, more and more ourselves. As we let the alarm, as we let the alarm, alert, allow, let the alarm system to go out of our system. <coughs> Partly by befriending nothingness, so befriending feeling without words, befriending the fluidity of our experience, the unpredictability of it, feeling that, pla that place that, that, ha that gives a yes to unpredictability, to the unexpected, even when we don't quite agree <laughs> with it. We're staying with the feeling of sadness, giving enough space to the sadness starts to leave room to feel that there's something sprouting. Giving room to our trying too hard, letting go of trying too hard, letting it out, letting that energy out to run around, <laughs> uncovers another kind of energy that, that has joy inside its bones. Staying with anger and giving space to anger, not letting anger dominate, but letting it have, letting it be. Just, just like a little mushroom there, growing. And then the subtle feeling inside the anger of, <clears throat> that's clear, 
and that has a kind of willingness to, for a definitive gesture or a decisive break with the past. And it also has a kind of what I would call like a spring-like skin, like the skin of plants in springtime that, that you can almost, just by seeing it, you, you can feel the osmosis happening. It's like our filter feeder, letting our whole skin be like that. <clears throat> Even the skin of that poor old hot brain. And staying with worry and anxiety and the unending thinking seemingly unending, seemingly unending, seemingly unending, feeling for the root of it, not just staying with the froth at the surface, but feeling for the root of it, just feeling, just feeling, just feeling. It needs more room, and it needs more room, and it says, I hate more room and more room. I'm not the only one. (laughs) Everyone's done it. Everyone's my mother. (laughs) What? (laughs) More room. And it starts to turn into having uh, almost like a feathery, sensual skin that, that loves being in its skin. And having a skin means having boundaries, which means sometimes there's protection and sometimes there's exchange. So to be less afraid of the feelings, because there is inside there's this kernel that's really bright and nutritious, <laughs> really has so much nourishment and so much chance, so, so much genuine leadership, so much genuine authority. In the poem, he, he's talking about nothing, no thing. So I don't know if I mentioned this. There's, I don't remember his name, but there's a Christian mystic that said, God is a great no thing. And this poem is, is an expression of the greatness, one of Kristen's words also. The greatness that is beyond our separate sense that is, in, is included, that does include us, but it's also included in us. It's in, in the fabric of us. So just the way that the swallows. And I love how he says pair by pair. The swallows again. So it's an everyday. It's not like a one-time occurrence. Every day with tender exactitude. So we have again the the precision that starts to just happen by itself, by staying with all we can, which is feeling. And really honest feeling, the unnecessary to one side. What am I actually feeling? I've been calling it confusion. What is it actually? And staying with it is also a little bit like, marinating, so things start to get soft. The swallows again, with tender exactitude, play out their line in arcs laid on the air. Arcs laid on the air. He's already talked about the wind, deep and broad, 
and the unending skies. We have two versions of the air that their movements are laid out on. The wind is deep and broad, and the sky is unending. And that's kind of like us, like there's, we have these ways that we're deep and broad and that can be felt. So it's like sort of like the filter feeder. It can be felt, it's almost visible. The wind is almost visible. It's all, it has a kind of body. So our collectiveness, it has a kind of body. It, and it's deep and it's broad. And it can be played on. And there's also the unending sky in any direction you want of, of you. Like, there's no escaping. <laughs> it's not a, we're not talking about somebody else. The swallows, again, the events of the day, you can say, for example, again, pair by pair with tender exactitude, play out their line in arcs on the air as soon as made, not there. And so then there's not just not needing to go up to the mental filters about what's happening, the concepts and the cause, but just staying true to the feeling capacity. that it can just be as soon as made, not there. I want to end in a funny kind of way, even though I've already, I know it's long, but it's a short retreat, so we get more words into the less time. (laughs) Sorry about that. I have an old friend, another old friend, and I just want to put in a word for Aging, such a wonderful thing to do. <laughs> I highly recommend it. And one of the one of the many reasons is that it's possible to have old friends. So my old friend Brian also sometimes teaches Dharma meditation. And as a way of talking about us, human beings, and the way that the sense of separation just comes and goes, and it's just one of those surfs that rises and recedes. It's not particularly more or less important than any other aspect of us. The sense of me, and the sense of me, (laughs) which goes together. His brother, who is definitely not at all into meditation, but from my friend Brian's Jewish family, married, I think, a Catholic woman. And so on Sunday, the rest of the family would go to church, and Brian's brother would stay home and mow the lawn. And it was one of those um, riding mowers, you know? So for me, it's already like lawn, you know? And then the riding mowers, but it's it's um, entering the kind of causeless space where that we're in together. So Brian's brother mowing his lawn on a riding mower is in is is you. So Brian was trying to talk about dharma, talk about meditation, talk about a deeper sense of what a human being is to his brother. And just ask, you know, what is, what, 
what is something that you do maybe alone that you feel kind of quiet and you feel kind of good? And he said, well, on Sundays when everyone, goes, everyone else in the family goes to church, I mow the lawn. I feel quiet and kind of collected and I'm alone. And, and that's one of the best examples for two reasons <laughs> that I've heard of egolessness, of non-separation, and of being in it together. And so one is just that it's such a down-to-earth example. There would be the way that you mow the lawn, that you know, and sometimes you forget. We often forget. And then it might rise up again to your consciousness of, oh, yeah, when I play Frisbee, you know, or whatever, <laughs> when I swim. Or... And it might also be a task, or it might also be something repetitive, or it might also be something that there's a kind of droning sound. It might also have something that has something in common with mowing the lawn, or it might not. But it's just a simple human thing. And the second reason that I love the example is that it's so politically incorrect. <laughs> it so helps us feel where being right hurts, and being right brings up the wall, that my political correctness I thought was actually about being kind and together and feeling, at least feeling through the wall. So that our way of meditating can really be like radically transformative and not just another way of feeling safe because I'm right but that we feel, what is it like to feel right? And there can be a kind of energy that we get from that, but keep feeling, keep feeling, keep feeling. Where does it pinch? Where, does it, where is it too small? And then, and what's another way that doesn't also pinch and get too small on your love of all of life that would like their to be fewer longs <laughs> and maybe more food and flowers and trees and wilderness. So thank you for your tremendous stamina getting through this monster talk. <laughs> I'll just read the poem one more time. And maybe before I read this one, I'll just go to the last line of yesterday's poem. <clears throat> the last stanza. After days of labor, <clears throat> mute in my consternations. And this would be a word that we would normally need to pause and say, what, what? I think I know what that means, but do I? But as a poem, we can just also just hear it, just hear the sound, consternations. It has a sound that tells something. <clears throat> After days of labor, mute in my consternations, so I have no words. So I'm, I'm out of my mind. I hear my song at last, and I sing it. 
as we sing. The day turns, the trees move. So the whole time the poem has been I and it, there hasn't been a, a we. And I love that he doesn't explain it. It's exactly like that. It's just this organic, it's not like I tear down the wall of I or I conquer the I, but it's just where it dissolves by chance and by training. I hear my song at last and I sing it as we sing. The day turns. And that's where the filter feeders work in, in a lot of different directions. As I sing, so you find your song and you sing it and your singing starts to move in deep and subtle ways. And it's true, we sing. Not only you and those it's that were afraid of you and you were afraid of. As we sing, the day turns, the trees move. And just the kind of enormity and ordinariness of the day turns, the trees move. May I read it again? Or shall I just post it? Mm -hmm. Over the river in loud flood. Now you can hear, hear it. <laughs> in the wind deep and broad under the unending sky. Pair by pair, the swallows again with tender exactitude. Play out their line in arcs laid on the air as soon as made, not there. May the traceless, may our traceless path be laid out before us and within us, leaving not a trace, but a smile. As we sing, as our day turns, as the trees move, may our practice and our lives be dedicated to the momentum towards liberation for all. I'll stay here for about five minutes. And on the schedule, there's five minutes till the meditation, but you might want to be outside. You might want to stay inside. Mm -hmm. Don't die by the paper schedule. But dinner <laughs> is in 35 minutes. <laughs>